Good evening. Hello. I'm Carrie Brower, the acting director and chief curator here at the Hirshhorn. I want to welcome you all here tonight. This is a great turnout, and uh, I know there's a storm on the way or something, so I was thinking, oh no, no one's going to show up tonight, and, and the place is full, so I'm, I'm very, very excited that you're here. Um, I've just been told by Kevin Hull, who, who helps put these, these wonderful Meet the Artist um, programs together, that I needed to tell everybody to turn off their cell phones. And uh, so I was just struggling with mine a second ago. So if you can remember to do that, we'd appreciate it. And um, I just want to say that it's a very special occasion tonight because we're very, very lucky to have Wageshi Mutu here with us tonight. And I'll introduce her um, in a second. Uh, but we're thrilled that we were able to put this together and um, have her here uh, to meet uh, you as part of uh, the Meet the Artist series. Um, before we start, I want to thank the Stephen and Heather Mnuchin uh, Foundation, uh, whose ongoing support makes these Meet the Artists uh, talks possible. In these talks, we really try to bring uh, the most important contemporary artists here to, to meet with you, to be in dialogue, to, to uh, talk and, and present, and then have, asked, have questions asked afterward. And so we're very pleased that um, uh, Stephen and Heather Mnuchin continue to support this program. And I also want to thank um, Henry Thaggart uh, for uh, supporting this particular program this evening. It would not have been possible without his help. So thank you very much, Henry. We really appreciate uh, this. And, and I do want to thank our staff at the museum, too, who don't always get thanked for doing these things. Uh, Kevin Hall, who I already mentioned, but uh, in particular, Milena Kalinowska, uh, who runs uh, the education programs at the museum and does a terrific job in putting together all of these uh, Meet the Artist talks. Um, before we begin tonight, I'd just like to mention a few other programs um, around the museum. Uh, in particular, we're opening up a major exhibition next week. Uh, the first day will be February 14th on, on Valentine's Day. And the project is sort of a special one for us. Uh, it's a major exhibition called The Cinema Effect, uh, Illusion, uh, Reality, and the Moving Image. And uh, it's a show that is a little different uh, for us and actually is different for almost any museum, uh, really, because it's an exhibition that takes place in two parts. And the first part will actually open on, yeah, on February 14th and is called Dreams. And the second part will open in June and is called Realisms. And the exhibition takes a look at the way that the cinema has really permeated our lives uh, today to the point where often we can't tell the difference between what is real and what isn't real, what is truth and what is fiction. And we're gonna be taking a look at that through a series of artist installations who deal, deal with these issues. And it's, it's a survey of film and video, but it's also really a, a look at the way culture operates uh, in contemporary society. And uh, there will be about 41 artists, I believe, all together, the last I counted, and it, pretty much each one has an installation. Each one of the exhibitions will fill the second level, the circle on the second level, so it's a fairly major undertaking by uh, the museum. So I hope very much you can come see that exhibition. And in conjunction with that show, the next Meet the Artist will be Tony Orsler, who does these wonderful uh, video works in which uh, he animates these doll-like creatures and they come to life and they'll be sort of staggered through the galleries so you'll see them uh, in the exhibition. So I hope you can come to that. That will be on February 14th. So if you're not doing anything for Valentine's Day, you might decide to wander and who knows who you'll meet here. Um, I'd like to introduce uh, the artist now. We're very pleased to have Wagechi Mutu with us uh, tonight. She was born in 1972 in Nairobi, Kenya and she now lives in Brooklyn. She trained as a sculptor and an anthropologist and received an MFA uh, from Yale University. Uh, she, essentially, I first started looking at her work when uh, Milena Kalinowska, actually, and I worked on the Kwanju Biennale a few years ago, and she was one of the artists uh, that was represented um, in that exhibition. And I remember, you know, 
choosing the works and we were very excited about the works, but when the works actually arrived and we installed them in the galleries, I was really stunned by these, these pieces that were just so beautiful that took images from National Geographic or fashion magazines or from other sources, combined them together, often with painting, and created these, these wonderful sort of um, uh, you know, dialogues ab about uh, uh, culture, about inquiries into uh, symbolism, about uh, sexuality, about perceptions of, of, of the female image. And all these things seemed to be working in the work, but the works were also extraordinarily beautiful. And uh, I know we were quite amazed by them uh, in the Kwanju Biennale. Well, not only has she been <clears throat> in the Kwanju Biennale in 2004, but she's also shown at the Tate Modern, um, at the Whitney uh, Museum, uh, at the Altria branch, uh, and at the uh, Centre Georges Pompidou uh, Center uh, in Paris. And she's more recently been seen at uh, the New Museum uh, in a show about collage that's there now with a major piece uh, that's in that exhibition. She's been part of a number of res residency programs and I think had an individual show, a one-person show, not too long ago at the Miami Art Museum. Um, her debut show in London was at the Victoria Moreau Gallery not so long ago, and in the Financial Times, uh, they said, and I quote, um, every work here bears the stamp of her personal worldview, confrontational but celebratory, intellectual but sensuous, a significant solo debut. So please join me in welcoming Wagechi Mutu. Thank you. I'm a little nervous because we had uh, some technical problems, but I want to thank everybody who's here um, this evening and especially um, Henry Faggot for the effort and Melena for arranging this. They've been incredibly gracious and, um, and uh, very, they doted on me very wonderfully. And um, I didn't quite understand initially when Henry uh, contacted me about this, what um, the magnitude was, in a way, you have so many things going on, but um, it, it occurred to me, um, in spite of the fact that I don't have a show here in D.C. right now, how important it is. Uh, the community of East Africans who are here um, is enormous and incredibly um, uh, important to me. And, um, and at this particular point in, uh, in, in this country and in Kenya, we're defining um, what we would like our countries to be like um, in very different ways, of course, uh, for the future. So it's a very big privilege to be here at a point when um, history is shifting in this manner. Um, uh, my partner asked me today, he said, what are you going to talk about this time? And I was like, myself. Um, so, <laughs> but I, I do try to branch out into um, and, and show my influences and um, in a way give basis for the reason why being an artist is such an important endeavor for me and also the only way I could uh, survive and talk about the things that I talk about. Um, I'm going to start off with a piece that is... Um, it's kind of an inspiration piece. It's, it gets me going and warms me up and, and, uh, and gives me a sense of um, uh, sort of magic when I'm, when I'm sort of lost or trying to figure out uh, how to produce and how to get into my next project. And it's, uh, it's Sun Ra and it's from a piece called A Joyful Noise. So um, if you could uh, press the, press play. It's from the 70s. And the sound, please. Planet Earth can't even be sufficient without the rain. It doesn't produce rain, you know. Sunshine, it doesn't produce the sun. The wind, it doesn't produce the wind. All Planet Earth produces is uh, the dead bodies of Humanity, that's its own creation. Everything else comes from outer space, from unknown regions. 
Humanity's life depends upon the unknown knowledge is laughable when attributed to a human being. That's uh, a great sunra. And um, now I'm going to go to um, my work. And I'm going to start with an image that uh, dates back to the early 1900s. It's this uh, wonderfully composed group of Kikuyu women. And um, it's from a book by um, Rutledge um, and Sons. It's one of those books that talks about, or at least attempts to talk about um, African tribes and, uh, and uh, categorizes them in all manners that um, often are um, badly researched and, and sort of uh, fictitious. But I like this image because these women are um, composed to, uh, to look like they're in the process of sort of domestic work. There's a woman grinding flour and the one with a child in her hand and everything. And it's all very posed. Um, the book is called Negro Types, and it has all various other um, types of uh, people from different parts. No particular rhyme or reason to the way this book was created. It's just Negro Types, and in actual fact, they're all from the African continent. Um, and the reason why this book was interesting to me, I, f I found this book early on in my uh, undergraduate studies, and um, and it was it was one of those books that I realized, uh, I, I held it close to me. It's more tattered now than it was even then because I always carried it around. And the reason is because I felt like I was constantly being compared and, um, and spoken of and perhaps perceived in contrast to these images because this is what, um, at this uh, stage still in, in, in the US, the, um, the students around me thought Africa was. Um, I'd been to school in, in Wales and I'd traveled quite a bit in Europe, but I'd never, and I, I suppose because I was in a very sort of international student environments, I'd never confronted the sort of 
uh, very stereotypical uh, um, definitions that I was getting uh, um, from my classmates. But the, and, and the reason I bring that up is not so much as a complaint at this point, it's been a long time since those years, but it's more to um, discuss where some of these, uh, this, this attempt to create, to mash together and create um, one image out of many different separate parts came from. Um, this image I love too because it's um, uh, this wonderful pose, this squatting pose close to the ground is something that I've um, gravitated to and used and utilized both for its stereotypical implications but also because it's quite a, a, a sensual uh, and, and feminine pose as such. Um, I initially started off in, uh, in three dimensions, working to create a whole out of fragmented um, uh, and also altering uh, um, material to, to turn it into something that is either not recognizable from the original material or at the same time uh, uh, suited together in a way that made it quite different from what it originally was. These pillows um, um, called fat legs uh, are actually made out of pillows. So I wanted to make these very large uh, erotic pillows that uh, were sort of a, a, a play on uh, on, on, I guess what I thought was seen as a sort of a, 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 a very um, negative uh, um, read on the female body, but at the same time, depending on where you're from, a very, very sort of erotic and, uh, and voluptuous female. Um, and I was also encountering the differences in how these uh, uh, differences in not just beauty, but the way um, the body is perceived from one place to another were affecting me. So I started to make these faux uh, ethnographic pieces that were, um, you know, uh, friends of mine posed in front of a bedcloth or, you know, sitting on a piece of pink vinyl, completely fabricated um, um, uh, with the idea of the ethnographic image, the image that is uh, capturing the, the authentic African, and I and I use these various you know, sort of the squat and and and, and uh, textile and pattern to force this notion of the African, the authentic, the um, uh, the other, and and in uh, in the process also made a lot of wearable sculptures. So the the necklaces that you see are all sort of put together. Um, for these kinds of uh, shoots, these are skinny arms, and um, and I used you know uh, materials that to me seemed and implied instantly this this notion of of primitivity or African and so forth to just try and push the discussion into that. But unfortunately, uh, you know, there's this thin line between you know laughing with someone and at someone, and if people don't understand the um, um, the punchline, it's not funny. So this this work in a way failed, and uh, so I stopped making it um, because it. It, not only was it not engaging uh, a discussion, uh, everyone who saw it at that particular point would ask me, was like, is this a skill that you learned from your grandmother? Is this something that you were taught? So it, you know, it became null and void, and I you know, couldn't have rolled my eyes enough, but I, I also thought, you know, this is time to figure out a, a way to, to translate, and translation is actually been one of the most difficult and interesting parts of my practice. So going back to the Negro Types book, I picked out this image, and I love a lot of the pictures in this book because of the, not just the, um, the idea of the book and the attempt to look at from above and outside another people, but also the expressions in the images. I think this particular picture is the one of someone who's you know, quite frustrated, it seems to me. Um, but I also like it because of that um, very you know, delicate and, and, and but obvious connection between um, this Darwinian uh, theory of uh, sort of uh, the missing link being from sort of uh, being somewhere in Africa. And the fact that at this particular point, the British were not convinced, the British being the colonizers of, uh, at least of Kenya, that, um, at that particular point, were not convinced that I guess um, the, the people they were colonizing were human. So I move into collage, um, mostly for practical reasons. And, uh, and I say this because I think one of the most important things for me has been to realize that it, ideas are always there. You can always create um, in whichever form. And um, you don't you know, need a, you know, lavish accoutrements and big resources to create uh, something interesting. I came from a really well, um, 
you know, this amazing studio uh, in, in, in Connecticut with, you know, the video facilities and the shop and so forth, and a critical apparatus around me, now people who are able to discuss your work constantly with you and give you feedback and all of that, and the libraries and the lectures and so forth, to a, a, a struggling sort of moment in New York where I realized that I had to re-assert re, um, my space again. And, and, um, and New York is funny, it's, you know, leave, leave the city and it doesn't retain the space, you have to squeeze your way back in there. And so I got back and I was working in a very small space and I started to make collage and it was very therapeutic for me. It wasn't something that I saw as sort of serious work. In my mind I was planning to do installation and continue the video work and everything. So this never was intended to be seen um, uh, and by, by a larger public. Um, I, I mostly picked um, imagery um, sort of to work out from that, that was from magazines. These two images look very similar and I placed them together because um, the whole time that this, this kind of thought was going on, I would look at certain um, icons and people. And I actually didn't like to reference Josephine Baker too much because I fell into that category of thinking of her simply as a buffoon and uh, as pandering to um, to sort of uh, European standards of what uh, the sort of the exotic uh, uh, noble savage is. But then I started to think about the notion that uh, Josephine Baker was American and that she was um, dancing in Europe and pretending to be African and she was being uh, sort of um, both, she was engineering and, um, and fostering a, a stereotype that completely um, uh, captured her audience, that she was able to sort of enter something that was absolutely fictitious. I mean, um, unless I'm unfamiliar with this, there's not a single community or nation in Africa who wore bananas as a skirt and this sort of <laughs> wonderful outfit that she concocted and her and her whoever was working with her is, is genius in that sense because it, it, it pinpoints those exact expectations that the audience were looking for. So I thought how interesting is it that one can um, it, it, uh, sort of create a battle with stereotype from within it by actually masquerading inside of it. Now, whether she was as conscious about this or not, I'm not sure, but I know that she wasn't able to do this sort of thing in the United States. And the idea of invention and creating a new persona and, um, and coming up with something new for yourself in a different place it intrigued me because as an immigrant, that's one of the things you realize that you can uh, invent and you can, uh, and, and performativity is a part of your everyday experience. So um, the pinup series was happening at this time. And again, it wasn't supposed to be seen by a large audience. So I was, paint, I was, I was drawing these watercolors, enjoying the idea of very um, intimate sort of uh, relationship with water and ink and, and the translucency and the very simple, very poetic, very intimate aspects of drawing. Um, were what I was, was fascinated by. I, I was cutting really small pieces of, you know, the collage was minimal in a sense. It was the f facial features and the, uh, the embellishments and so forth. But it was, um, it, it was probably one of the more honest approaches to these issues of um, the body and, and, um, and, and uh, you know, the, the standards of beauty, but also um, the, uh, the, misrepresentation of uh, the black female in, in media because, I, and I say honest because I wasn't over-intellectualizing my, um, my watercolors. I was just making them and, 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 and creating these uh, exaggerations and, and embellishments as I went along. Um, I go back again in, a little bit in history. But this is the year, closer year that I, I got to the United States. And at that particular point, we still had a dictatorship that was incredibly oppressive and censoring and, um, and, and you know, uh, uh, pretty much sitting on everybody's head, but in this particular case, torturing people who had been vocal against the government. The, um, the image that you see here is of middle-aged women who protested a particular, um, after actually many protests, they, um, they went out on this particular day and they, um, they disrobed 
and, um, and in the process of disrobing, they created chaos. And, uh, and in a way, it's seen as a curse. A middle-aged woman at home whose body is not seen as sort of a, a sexual and uh, a sexual body in, the, in, 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 um, in particular ways, in a public way, I guess. Um, and it's also a woman who's seen as someone who's produced um, children and grandchildren as such. It's a holy body. It's a very um, a beautiful body. It's not a body that's seen as, uh, I guess, in this, in this culture, it would be seen as a, uh, a sort of, a, kind of a, almost a woman at the end of her sexuality. It's not seen in that way. It's not from, seen from a negative perspective. Anyway, this woman's body is not supposed to be seen by children who are, you know, anyone who is the age of her children. And these policemen, these riot policemen, are obviously in that age group. Anyway, this curse was released and all chaos broke out. And in some ways it was successful, but it also clicked in me that I realized that there's something about the female body, be it, uh, it you know, through believing in it or just in this kind of way, in this manner where it, it, it is, uh, or in, in, in many ways that it has, it is able to produce life um, and, uh, and be resilient to several things that is, the female body is magical and powerful and that there is something interesting in using it as a focal point and as a vessel for so many of my ideas. I also have found that there's been many protests in several parts of Africa, including um, Fela's mother, who uh, was also very uh, active um, in, in, in the neo-colonial movement and um, was in her own way a very um, feminist at that particular point. She also did, they also did a similar disrobing curse against um, actually what was then the king um, um, and the British, but, um, but the king at that particular point. And it's happened in India, it's happened in many places, it's sort of middle-aged women, mothers of you know, the, 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 the prisoners and so forth, um, using their bodies as a weapon. This, this is another sort of wonderful fence of women. This is them doing a sit-down. This is another interesting uh, idea, the sort of taking up space, women taking up space in places that they should not be, be it through uh, just by sleeping, sitting, starving themselves, and then therefore creating what has you know, been one of the most successful protest moments. Um, and also um, and with family members and so forth. There are men in, in, this, in this image, of course. This is one of uh, my, my collages that I, I like to look at. It's actually in the door of my studio. And, um, and I use it as a segue to buffer the, into this, uh, this, this image here, which is uh, from um, a moment when I really started to hone into two places and two binaries. You know, this, instead of sort of fixating on the racial binary that I'm sort of and we are all forced in as, as black people in this particular uh, nation, in this, this kind of a country. I wanted to focus on a binary that's more, um, a, you know, is a, a discussion more of at home discussion, I would say, which is the fiction of the traditional um, kind of authentic uh, tribal African and the fiction of this hypersexualized and denigrated sort of female black body in media. And I wanted to place these two images together and create a little object that was fascinating to look at, that was an, in, in and of itself a new conversation, that allowed these two things to live together, but also showed that, it, that there is, that sort of revealed their problematic in that, in, in, in that instant. So um, the, the postcards in the back, the postcards that are the background, sorry, are images taken from Women of the African Arc, which is a wonderful uh, and incredibly uh, uh, and seriously flawed book, uh, which is done by several, uh, these women have done several books, um, um, you know, Africa Adorned and African Ceremonies. And they're, they're sort of the authors of the, the you know, the, the modern day uh, sort of traditional African. They produced this book, Women of the African Arc and Women of the Tribes, different na nations, micronations of East Africa. So you see um, uh, women from the coast, Maasai women, Samburu women, women from Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, all of them in these images. And actually the arc is, uh, the arc, Noah's Ark is supposedly buried somewhere in Ethiopia. This is where the, the, some of the oldest vestiges of um, the Judaic religions um, um, are to be found. In fact, I think it is the oldest um, 
um, you know, oldest churches, oldest um, um, uh, 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 mosques, and so forth. But these, uh, this area uh, is 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 much much larger than um, uh, it, it's not one nation, it's not one area. It's it's many many different tribes, many nations, many languages, but they're all clumped together in this one book. And so this was sort of an attempt to bring that and these sort of very hypersexualized images from. Um, um, from pornography. So I remove a certain part of these women that I'm, I think is sort of a stereotypical kind of what within the focal point is in, these, in this image. And in it you see this sort of conversation between two, in a way, two women. Um, these images are, um, are placed in arcs. I call them arcs. I call the arc collection. And they are, uh, they're in pairs. And this is the way I showed Images. So I sort of went back to this artifact display idea in this in this piece. Um, a great Joseph, uh, a great Grace Jones here, um, and the reason I have her here is just sort of um, um, in a way incarnated Josephine Baker in her performances, and she's taken on the stereotype and taken on this notion of the savage and the primitive and turned it into something that not only is incredibly difficult to watch because of how denigrating it is of what the idea of the, the black uh, female body is, but it's very powerful in the sense that she actually scares her audience. She, uh, she, she twists it around so you find that the audience um, is the animal more so than she is. Um, I wanted to play with that idea and sort of use, uh, uh, you know, skin, um, uh, altered skin, cat suit looking, uh, um, uh, cat suit wearing sort of posed figures, squatting, um, really forcing some of these uh, these these ideas of what this exotic, erotic is. But I also wanted to play with a notion of ethnicity as being something that is identifiable and pure. And in this work, uh, writing Death in My Sleep, um, you see this woman, it's not a I don't know why this image doesn't look that good over here either, but it's um, she's she's pale to the point of being albino, it's uh, it sort of plays with this notion of what what that having no color is, um, and then the, the, her features are all sort of uh, cobbled together from different faces. So there's it's difficult to sort of identify her ethnicity, but at the same time, obviously she's sort of in this fantasy world, and it is an image. Um, this is a shady promise. It's sort of much more recent work, made seven years later, um, in a similar squad, but a far more powerful pose. Um, and I wanted to think of this notion again. I'm sort of bridging this, this, these conversations and these, this, these ideas somehow, and and in the process, not so much creating a debate or a back and forth, but a full entire uh, uh, um, fantasy of of what possibly is going on in terms of these conversations. Um, I made a set of work called The Classic Profiles, and, um, and I love this image of Grace Jones because she, again, is playing with that thin line between um, imitation and, you know, the, the sort of the bamboos, the, the, the minstrel, the, um, the masked one, and, uh, and, uh, and, this, and at the same time, because of her fierceness, she's somehow able to pull it off. But I was also fascinated by, at this point, using words to generate the images. So I was thinking about how people are described ethnically on, and racially by you know, these sort of uh, words and, 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 uh, and statements that seem to make no sense. So you say, oh, someone's eyes are you know, slanted, or someone's nose is too long, or someone's mouth is so full, like what, so what is that perfect face that we use to measure which and how far things are off, you know, and uh, being that there are so many faces and nobody looks the same, what is that classic profile? And my, you know, investigation proves that there is no classic profile in a way. So I was enjoying making this, um, this set of work. I was also uh, thinking about things like sort of white teeth and shiny black face, but kind of placing them in a manner that didn't sort of make any sense and didn't, so I used glitter and, you know, again, exaggeration and, um, and, and surgery, like cutting into magazines as opposed to cutting out of them was, uh, was, um, has always been a part of the way I work. 
um, and then again talking about surgery and a sort of medicine and 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 how that plays into and you know in you know pathology and psychopathology and how that plays into sort of the the development of the idea of what a people are and how colonial colonization has been so marked by that notion of um, um, of disease and infection and and how surgery and um, and medicine developed in tandem with imperialism. In fact, Dr. Livingston, when he was entering the continent, you know, both for religious reasons and for research and, and so forth, he was also entering as a scientist. You know, there was this idea that it was both rational and righteous to do uh, what they were doing at that time. So these images are from that particular time. They're from the uh, late 1800s, and they're, they're, they're um, they're actually diseases of the female reproductive organ, and I sat around with them for a while. They're very brittle. There's, a, there's an element of, of degrade in them. It's almost like their theories that were sorted out at this particular point are crumbling in a way. And, um, and I sat with them for a while, not knowing what to do with them because they're so beautifully drawn as illustrations, as textbook drawings. They're, they're fantastic. Um, at a certain point, I started to place material on them, you know, glitter, rabbit fur, the various types of material that I use, some of it that I have very specific, again, you know, uh, reasons that have to do with um, um, almost like I, how I would work with sculpture. So the tape is um, protective and it's membrane-like and it's shiny and it looks like sort of the, the skin that's inside the mouth as opposed to outside. So it has this wonderful sort of way of you enter the, the, the image almost like you look from inside out. And it's not, um, it was, they sat around for a while, it's not after a long period of time that it occurred to me that I could actually create something with them that resembled a face, that resembled a character, that resembled um, these, masks um, that came out of them. This is an eptopic pregnancy and you can sort of see the, the little baby on the left side. Um, so there were all these issues with the female body and, and, and diseases and, and, and I was fascinated by bringing those two things together and it's not in a particularly logical or linear manner but what came out of them was something that was, was important to me. It's sort of like the third eye is, is, you know, right in between. And there's something about this moment when it, propriety and and manners and Victorianism were so at their height, it was the height of this, this kind of thinking, the 1800s is also the height of um, the brutality of imperial um, in, in, um, insertion in the continent in Africa, which is really where the origin of a lot of the problems that we're experiencing right now are from. Um, and talk about propriety and, uh, and sort of, uh, and posture, you know. Um, and again, masks have played a big role f in my work. Um, and uh, this particular image is um, of a girl who's um, being initiated traditionally. And I like this uh, wonderful cake, uh, you know, uh, of, of chalk and, uh, and ochre. White is a color of transformation and death, and it's used to sort of uh, guide a person's uh, spirit from one place to another in these kinds of ceremonies. But in a way, it's such a ubiquitous um, uh, sort of uh, usage of the color because I think even in, in, the, in Christian and in, in many, many different traditions, white is used, you know, both in confirmation and marriage and, and so forth. But I, I, I like to use that idea to focus um, this, sorry, the mask is a way to focus the face into something um, that is both vile and urgent, and this is a young child in Iraq. The work shifts at a certain point. My interest in the female body as a sort of a guiding force in a place where many um, battles are fought um, is still alive and is still present at this point, but I think um, when the war uh, began, and um, I think, uh, right after September 11th especially, I was, um, I was quite sensitive about what was happening and the possibility that things were going to change tremendously both for, um, uh, you know, for non-Americans living in the U.S. and of course for the countries that were um, being targeted. So this is a very young child. And this is a quote that I um, found from Albert Camus. And this, this is really where um, I start to investigate, well, what is 
my part in all of this, you know, how complicit and how responsible am I for what is going on over there and for the people who are dying. And it's always easy to say, well, it's their thing or, you know, um, we got bombed or we got attacked. And um, But I am a big believer that in actual fact, we're all connected and it's all part of our, um, our cycle and our, um, uh, um, our legacy somehow. That these things are not isolated and they don't happen in the vacuums. This is a little hand combat. It's a small piece of work. And at this point I've moved. Um, I've, I was working on paper, writing Death in My Sleep, and, um, and the two uh, um, hunting dog girls were made on paper. And the wonderful thing about working on paper with watercolors is, is it, you know, you work small and you sort of get to control the water and it's all about that ability to either control and let go of the material and, 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 um, and uh, at some point I start to add so much material and water and glue and all these things and, it, and it, the work becomes more and more emotional and volatile that the paper starts to behave like its original thing. It starts to behave like a tree. It buckles, it you know, bruises, it opens. It, it, you know, so I, it became impossible to work on paper. So I started to look for material that had a more objective surface. And I found that mylar, which is synthetic and plastic and uh, and you know, and very um, flat in 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 how you use it, it while you're using it as it dries was perfect to place all of these very passionate sort of ideas on. So this is a shift into mylar, and also this there's a way that the image kind of. Uh, uh, floats and sort of bounces off of the, pa uh, the the surface in a different way from the way it did in paper. Um, this is praying mantra, which is very much a, a development from the smaller works on mylar. And um, and I was, you know, I, as as I'm working with ink, I think one of the things that's an ink and collage and all of this material. One of the things that I'm doing is I I, I use the material to guide me. So the issues are always there. They're always prominent. I you know will read the news and then you know work in my evening in the studio. So all those things that are agitating and, and inspiring me are there. But I often let the material and its inability to spread or its abilities to, 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 to swell up guide me through the making of the work. And, um, and that's how I got some of these surfaces that to me look a little bit like a flayed body or, uh, or the inside of a body as opposed to uh, um, the, the external body. Um, this is actually earlier than the the work um, before, but it's it's a, a moment when I'm kind of thinking about this uh, these these bodies, these things, these people, this these um, these human follies, and how they're kind of in, immersed in 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 inside of me somehow. Um, and it's certainly, this you know, and I don't mean to to say that in. Uh, like this is a self-portrait. There probably is aspects of this work that is very much like self-portraiture, but it's um, these characters are more um, psychological states, I, I think. And um, this piece is called "The Naughty Fruit of My Evil Labor," and um, there's a lot of amputation and mutilation in the work. There's a lot of severing, and and um, and I think originally I started it off both is a, is, a, is a way of describing cultural amputation, cultural mutilation, the cutting off of people from their history, from their family, from their, um, their origins and so forth. Arachnid Curse is a work that really helped me shift from the picture plane and get back into sort of um, space, like I was working with space a lot more and environment. Um, and I also came up at a certain point when I was feeling that space and boundaries were again being used as um, as a weapon, as a weapon to further people's fear of each other, as a, a weapon to kind of uh, um, enhance this, you know, this 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 xenophobia uh, um, moment that we're that 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 uh, that we're sort of living in in this particular country. So arachnid curse is this eight-eyed woman. She's sort of a spider, but she's also trapped in her web. Um, 
And at the same time, she's consuming these bodies. She's got in, inside of her orifices, her mouth, these female figures. And what happens is it, it spreads out onto the wall. And although arachnid curses on a piece of mylar and is flat, the wall becomes this um, a, a internal, external um, kind of investigation of the white cube space. The white cube, in a way, starts to become the body. And um, uh, erasing infestation um, uh, is a work I did in Los Angeles, and it looks like there's marks and, uh, you know, sort of just slight uh, sort of elevated areas. But in actual fact, these marks are holes. They're, they're, um, they're depressions. They're sort of hammered out. And, uh, and the way I would work on this is sort of, it is almost performative and, and very destructive in a way I would hammer into the wall to the point where I would get to what I consider to be the bone of, it's not really the bone of the building, but the uh, whatever resisted me. So if it was the two by four piece of wood or a piece of steel. And once I got to that, I would stop and then I would sort of heal the hole with pigment and, and, um, and oil and anything that would make, bring out this sort of rose uh, wound-like effect. Um, I'm going to go back to that, and um, and in in the process, I created this wonderful uh, a constellation, and the constellation itself is from bullet-ridden buildings in war-torn parts of the Middle East. The problem with this, and the 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 idea behind this also was to prove this sort of notion for myself and for the institution that um, destruction is easier than repair. So. The people who were lucky enough to invite me to do this always had the hardest time kind of bringing the walls back to their perfect white. Uh, um, I never heard, you know, I heard a lot from the efforts. But anyway, this particular piece is also using that idea of contaminating and marking, except it's using, I use mold. At the same time that I was creating these holes and these depressions in the wall and wounding the body of the building, um, I was also marking it with the odor and the sort of rancid smell of wasted wine. And um, this particular piece is from um, a show called uh, Cinderella Curse. The, this piece itself is, is called Muddy Waters, and I did Muddy Waters in Memphis, and it was, uh, it was on, on a laundry line. When I reworked the piece in Atlanta, I decided to put it on a, a big um, uh, table. And the, the table is actually built in dimension and, and, and visually to um, correspond to these, these, um, these tables or these slats that I had seen that basically carried the bodies of um, the corpses that remained after the massacre in Rwanda. And as you can see, this whole wall, this whole space is entirely infested with these um, these these wall wounds, and uh, and this is an image um, from the 1994 massacre in Rwanda, and um, and at the time I was uh, in the uh, here in the states, and um, and one of the most frightening and remarkably uh, horrific things about this massacre is that it took such a short time, and I think. Um, many people have been found to have been slow in reaction, but it is one of the shortest and most horrific massacres, and it's the, a testament to human, um, uh, human capability, but also how far we can go if we put our mind to it. And, um, and together with things that I was thinking about when I was working in Texas, um, I, I kind of brought these two uh, layers together, and, um, and the, the other thing about working in Texas too that was interesting was that it was because it's a, uh, I was in San Antonio, which is South Texas, a very Catholic area. Um, coincidentally, so is Rwanda, but this Catholicism, this sort of, uh, you know, uh, encouraging of the sort of uh, uh, territory and, and expansion and conversion um, uh, spreads in, in very specific ways. And I just thought it was very interesting to think about them together. Um, and to create these, these, these regions, these landscapes that were actually um, installations. Um, misguided little unforgivable hierarchy is a kind of uh, work that combines this, uh, my f fascination and love of, um, 
um, Makonde art, which is an art form that comes out of Mozambique that is uh, using a tree trunk, a whole entire family mythology can be carved out and created so all the bodies are interconnected and intertwined. And it was used actually to speak about generations of people um, and, and family and so forth. But this piece was also about thinking about this, this family of you know, the human evolution, uh, or the, the, the discussion on, on hum, human evolution, sort of the family of human, um, the humans that we are all from, obviously, but there's this, this, this wonderful way that you, uh, you tend to see, especially in the National Geographic and, and, and imagery that talks about evolution, this movement from the, the ground, close to the body, close to the ground, uh, and, and as it proceeds to evolve, it, it, uh, it, it stands up in erect. And, uh, and I just wanted the entire figure to have, or the entire composition to have nothing erect about it except um, the totemic aspect of it. And then at the top of it is this little monkey that we seem to have turned into. This image um, I put in here not to, um, uh, you know, be disrespectful or, or shocked, but it is an image that really has stuck with me because it relates to something that happened in Somalia in 92 or 91 during Black Hawk Down where the American soldier is dragged through the streets. And this happened in Vietnam in actual fact. And, um, and, uh, and I just thought how, um, how easy we forget in the sort of 30 year period we'd forgotten that um, this kind of thing had happened, and it happened again, and, and will happen again. Um, a head-resting moment, a sort of vicious um, uh, kind of warrior girls are very ambivalent, you know, it's sort of like they're, um, they're victors, but at the same time, they're, uh, there's also a sense that they've participated in something that is, is kind of vile. Um, your story, my curse. Um, is a diptych, and it sort of deals with this, again, the, the figures start to uh, participate in hierarchies. Figures sit on top of each other for particular reasons, and there's interactions going on. Some figure looks like it produces another. Um, Try dismantling the little empire inside of you is a work where I, again, expanded onto the wall with these pearl, um, these little pearl pieces. and. Um, and also uh, through at the image, these uh, it's hard to see them, but these little um, pigment doused uh, pieces of paper. Um, at the time I was doing two pieces, I'm not sure if both of them, they're not both here, and, but the, the two pieces were, one is a sort of a wild horse and one is a tame horse, and I was kind of thinking as the, of the female, the mare, as an, as an interesting kind of icon to, 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 to think of the idea of something that works within the institution and without, from without, like either sort of uses the institution as a way to, um, to be and to create radical sort of thought or works in more sort of guerrilla fashion from outside. Um, and this particular one is the more uh, wild of, of the girls. Um, and so 50 years before, we see that this similar kind of cycle, this waste of humans, this um, very sp specific and precise decision to annihilate an ethnicity has obviously taken place in Europe and it still continues. Exhuming Gluttony, um, A Lover's Requiem is a work I did um, over a year ago, and it's, uh, I was thinking about this idea of, well, what, what is it that goes wrong, and how do we come together, and what do we come together around in order to discuss these things, because each and every person's issue seems more important than the last. So I thought about the table, and the idea of the banquet table as a place to uh, discuss things, as a place where family and, and, uh, and, 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 and you know, and, um, meetings happen, all kinds of things happen around tables and uh, resolve is found, but also um, uh, confrontation and disputes um, occur. So I created this room um, that has these, these corners, these webs, these sort of uh, wasp-like, wasp-looking uh, used moments. It's, it's the room, it's, it's a very, um, interesting moment, this installation for me, because it's one of those pieces that works um, because of every single aspect in the room. So the smell uh, with, the, with 30 wine bottles leaking upon this table, this sort of multi-legged table, this table that has so much support, but none really, and it's hard to see from here, but actually 
um, very few of the legs um, are touching the ground, so the table is supported only by six uh, legs. Um, and I move very quickly to, um, to um, this video work that I did, and it's actually sort of the, 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 the direction that some of the work has gone into, not necessarily leaving out the collage, but um, when I was in San Antonio again, this, this, um, it was actually during um, the last election, and, uh, and I remember being incredibly frightened about going to Texas at that point, because I thought, you know, I was somehow I was gonna stand out and people would know that I was uh, liberal and democratic, you know. Uh, not, I can't vote, but I'm on that end of things. And by the way, everybody, please vote. For us who can't vote, please vote. Um, and, but, uh, but I remember worrying about being there and, and, uh, and trying very hard to make work in this space. This space that we are given here, this gallery, is also the studio, but it's a very, public space, so the administrators in the space are walking through, they're always little tours and everything. So it's very difficult to ponder on collage and to flip through books and to sit around and read. So I started thinking about the space as sort of an entrapment, you know, and a sort of, uh, the, and, and also I was fascinated with everything that I was reading about Texas. I was reading about the history, the statistics, um, the, the, of, of uh, the, the demographics, how many uh, people from Mexico live in Texas, how many Mexicans are Texans, and, and so forth, and, and uh, execution rates in Texas, the wealth in Texas, all of these things are astounding. It's one of those incredibly fascinating, huge, huge, huge states. It's like a big, it's like, it's a, in fact, it's like a country, it's so big. But this particular part of Texas made me think about battles for resources and land, because it's this, uh, next to so many rural areas, and I went out to Presidio and, um, and meditated in this area that, uh, that I knew I would create this video, and, um, and that's what I'm going to end with here. Um, so it's called Cutting, and, uh, and, and Cutting is really um, the, the piece that actually helped me uh, understand and decide for myself that it's very easy to be on one or the other side of the weapon, and you sort of have to make the decision. And I feel like the easiest way, and bring down the volume, because it's really, it's kind of a loud piece. Um, one of the easiest way I feel of, of sort of understanding which side you want to be on is to try and consider yourself from the opposite end. So for example, what would it be like if you were the person wielding the weapon? Um, as opposed to thinking of yourself as a victim or thinking of them over there, put yourself in that position. So I put myself in the position of the weapon-wielding person, who's also the laborer, who's a woman who's working. Um, and I did this uh, piece. Bring down the volume just a little bit. hills in the background, um, the blue sort of horizon, that's uh, Mexico. So we're right there on the border in a very poor, poor, desolate kind of desert town, very beautiful little sweet town. Um, and in a way, this piece becomes an homage to women laborers, to laborers, to people who work on the land, to people who work close to the land, for whom land is life and death. Um, But it's also the same movement that is used to farm and to dig and to cultivate is the same movement that could be used to destroy and to annihilate and to massacre. And the weapon that is used to create can be used to destroy. And at the end of the day, um, one hopes that you've spent eight hours, 14 hours, however many hours, um, not 
cutting or uh, shortening someone else's humanity, but sort of enhancing it somehow. This piece uh, happened very coincidentally on this little mountain. We'd collected a lot of wood in it. Nothing was working, the sound kept going off. So finally when we filmed this, it's very short part of it, I was exhausted, but it was perfect because the sun is sort of going down. And, um, and I'm not acting exhausted, I'm actually tired from cutting. <laughs> Almost done.